0: Malala Yousafzai once said, Do not wait for someone else to come and speak for you. It is you who can change the world. Hello, I'm Claire 20 and welcome to this podcast called Just Make the Thing. My guest today is Carly Finlay. This show is all about how to start a thing and keep on making it. And goodness me, Carly makes many things. She is a blogger, a writer, a speaker and an appearance activist. She challenges people's thinking about what it's like to have a visibly different appearance. She's brave and funny. She's written for many publications, including The Guardian, The Age, and The Sydney Morning Herald, Daily Life, the ABC, Mamma Mia, and Frankie Magazine. She's used her blog to write about her skin condition ichthyosis, as well as promote causes such as Love Your Sister and Donate Life. Carly was named as one of Australia's most influential women in the Australian Financial Review and Westpac 100 Women of Influence Awards for 2014. Man, I was nervous meeting this incredible person. She works so hard. That's what struck me the most about Carly's body of work, how hard she works, how dedicated she is to promoting the causes that she supports and also how funny and creative she is. I love how she uses color. I love her clothes. I love her Instagram posts about food. And that's how I found her on Instagram at Carly Finlay. If you don't follow her, go and follow her now. She has so much joy and insight. And I think also intelligence to bring to the debate about diverse voices, about growing up as a woman now in 2018. And and she challenges us to create more inclusive spaces for everybody. I've started using image descriptions on my Instagram because after I had this interview, I realized that our Planet Broadcasting Network could be much more inclusive than it is. So small steps, but there are things that we can all do, I think, to have more empathy. And Carly teaches us that. So here she is, We recorded in a really hot room. We were both exhausted because the heat was crazy and Carly has trouble um, regulating her body temperature, but she was an amazing trooper and stuck through all of my questions. So here she is, in all her glory, Carly Finlay. Hello, Carly Finlay.
1: Hello, Claire. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to put my headphones on. Hang on. Okay.
0: I know, it's so fancy. <laughs> it is. Cool. Well, you have been rushing in the rain for a speech today. Yeah. Are you,
1: where were you talking? Um, I was talking at I uh, oh, I don't even know the place. Don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking at a law firm and uh, it was my last event for the year, so... Really oh. happy to be finishing work for the year. Yes. So, yeah, did a speech for International Day of People with Disability, which was on the 3rd of December. Oh,
0: so, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So, I wanted to ask you a f- my first question really was around because this show is about how to start a thing and keep on making it. Mm-hmm. When did you know that you were a writer?
1: Mm. Um, when I wrote a book at school, and I say book very loosely, it was some um, five bits of cardboard punched together with some you know string. (laughs) (laughs) It's still a book. Yes so that's how I knew I was a writer when I was about five but I do remember my kindergarten teacher said to me that I didn't write properly because I think I wrote a sentence like the good dog went into the big night and she said that didn't make sense. That's kind of poetic to me. Yeah Me too, and look where I am now. Yeah, yeah, she
0: did. (laughs) Clearly she wasn't a writer.
1: (laughs) What do you love to write about the most? Well, I used to blog a lot and I used to like the freedom of just having an idea and then writing it down and not having, you know, not having the burden of the time or, you know, the pressure to get everything right or whatever. So just to have that freedom. So I guess I enjoyed writing in that way the most, but certainly it hasn't changed in what content I write. So I write a lot about disability, appearance, diversity. I think I've got an idea to write a a blog post actually. So that hasn't happened for a long time because I've just been writing my book and writing media. So, I think I've got an idea. I actually wrote one dot point in my phone before. Four blog posts. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, that's good. That yeah. is, is
0: that how you come up with your ideas? Do you record them in your phone yeah. as you go?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, if I lost my phone or my eye, eye notes or whatever they're called, I'd just be dead, you know, because they're, they're just all there. Everything I've ever thought of for the last eight years are just all in those notes. Um, Yeah, just record them. I don't don't verbally record much, but But just, yeah, just text it into my phone. And then they're, you know, synced on every device, which is useful.
0: That's so useful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When you were that
0: five-year-old and you were writing... Mm Where did your ideas come from, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think fairy tales and um, other stories I read. Do you remember when you were in little, like, kinder and preschool, um, there was those really big books, those giant books, and the teacher would read them? Yeah, those kind of books. Uh, Like Grug and Spot, Meg and Mog, Miffy, all those kids' books, yeah. I I used to be a primary school teacher. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the, best. the big
0: books are the best because yeah. it's the images and the, and I think when you're a child, the world just comes so alive with words, yeah. just
1: buzzing everywhere. Yeah. I remember the hippopot- hippopotamus on my roof eating cake. Do you remember that book? Oh, yes. yes. I, oh, I read that to my son all oh, the time. So good. Um, so all of those sorts of books maybe. Um, also my mum used to tell stories and my dad as well. Um and I wrote about it in my book how they would tell stories and I would help them finish them and what are your parents like? Uh, my my mum is very much like me I think we're very fiery sometimes you know we have heated arguments probably because we're so alike uh, my mum's very very outgoing, very bubbly very talkative my dad's he's quite serious and I think I'm serious as well in that in that way and he's also very I wouldn't say academic but He's he's very smart. Yeah.
0: So yeah. that. So so you're a mix of both. Yeah. So fieriness of your <laughs> mum, but then the kind of academic seriousness, seriousness yeah. of your dad. Yep. Yeah. Mm. How? Because I I wanted to talk a little bit um, today, and I I want to make sure I get this right. Mm-hmm. So you have a condition. I'm not telling you what you have, but <laughs> called
1: ichthyosis. Mm-hmm, good pronunciation. Yeah.
0: Correct. Mm. And obviously, that's not anywhere near all of who you are Mm-mm. at all. And mm. you're so accomplished. How did, you, it, how did you kind of come to know that you had ichthyosis when you were a child? I don't
1: know. I think I think my parents were very matter-of-fact, like this is what I've got. You know, there's a lot of time spent with doctors, so I learnt those medical terms very early. And I guess maybe I knew when the other children treated me differently, perhaps, you know, with, with bullying and exclusion so maybe that's how I knew that there were social barriers in having ichthyosis and I also felt that there were medical problems when I realised how painful it is so it's a skin condition um, and so yeah I guess that that was the two things that taught me knowing when I had it because I was in hospital or going to the doctors a lot and feeling the physical pain you know, especially when having a bath that was very present then and also being excluded by kids yeah probably when from when I was about three, I'd say. Mm. Mm. But my parents have never hidden it. Not that you could, but I know that there are parents who won't tell their children of their diagnosis. Mine were never like that. The very matter of fact, this is how it is. It's going to be okay. Get on with it. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, because it strikes me that you have so much resilience. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, in order to make stuff, you need to have a huge amount of resilience. Yeah,
1: yeah, because people, I think people give up when, you know, they get a rejection or don't know how, how much you have to work before... I don't know, you're getting somewhere or you feel you're getting somewhere. So I think that resilience from having ichthyosis has really helped me in resilience in other areas of life, mm. yeah. When
0: you get up in the morning, mm-hmm. what do you need to do to get out of the house? Um, oh, check Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Instagram. <Yeah>. Excellent. <laughs> Brush your teeth. Cool.
1: <laughs> Done. Yeah. Um, Oh, you know, we were just talking about the filters before, and mm. wouldn't that be great if I could just like filter my my sore skin out <laughs> before yeah. having to do all <laughs> the stuff that I normally have to do? Is there an app for that? Um, oh yes, yeah, so basically. Uh, I, don't, I work for Melbourne Fringe and uh, we start work at 10, which is really great. Um, so it means I don't have to get up as early. So I can sort of get up at 7 and have a shower and just put moisturiser, like paraffin, over my whole body. And then often I'll go to bed, back to bed, and I'll do freelance work until 9, until I have to leave. And then I leave for work. That's it, really. So basically it's just having a shower and putting on a lot of oily, oily moisturiser. That's it, yeah. Excellent. And then... Yeah. And so I
0: guess because it puts it in perspective, I think, doesn't it, when you you realise everyone has stuff that they do before they leave the house, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, I don't necessarily have to take heaps of tablets or anything. It's just taking antihistamine most days. And if I am sore, I mean, that can take a bit bit of time if I'm sore, like wanting to rest or using salt in the shower or... um, putting dressings on but it's not I mean it's not an imposition but it is good starting later because when I started work earlier like half past eight then I would sometimes feel like I'm a bit sore can I come in you know half past nine or something Mm
2: -hmm. if I want
1: to be slow so yeah it's not anything big deal but I do find when I'm with friends that are putting on makeup I just feel like oh are you done yet like I'm I've been (laughs) been done for half an hour. (laughs) 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 <laughs> That's
0: true. We spend a lot of time. Yeah. We could. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, so, so you don't wear makeup?
1: No, not really. Sometimes I wear lipstick, and sometimes I wear nail polish. But no, not anything. I do want my dream. I don't have any eyelashes, and that would be my my ultimate <laughs> dream to have eyelashes that are really um, exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like Rosie
0: Waterland has yes. those, like,
1: really long. I ones. know, right? Then I saw she got an eye infection, so maybe I don't want those. No, no. No. I've
0: got really straight eyelashes, and I tried to curl them once because if I tried to put fake ones on, I just get too set. Yeah, and I I spent an hour under like a curling rod thing, and then I got out. They just went straight, straight. So um, I did love though because I Mm -hmm. I follow you on Instagram, and I highly recommend going to follow you because you're so entertaining, but also (laughs) say write so beautifully. But
1: I always love your outfits. Ah, thank you. What does
0: fashion mean to you?
1: Um, I just think it's fun. I think it's a good way to express yourself, and I really like colour. I wrote the other day, like, is this outfit too subtle? And it was like I had green stockings, pink shoes, and a really colourful dress. And someone actually said, No, I think you need coloured sleeves because I just had black underneath. Um, Yeah, it's just fun and expressive, and good way to, um, I guess, looking professional as well. Like my, remember my dad was saying to me when I was young, I should try and present myself really well so that people don't have that low expectation of me. So that's kind of always stuck. Mm. Yeah. That's a huge lesson for everyone, Mm. Mm. I Mm. think. I think so. And I think, you know, we, uh, disabled people have the, you know, shoulder the low expectations of, of everybody thinking that we're, you know, someone to be pitied or someone to be placed on a pedestal for just getting out of bed. But I think we can play a hand in how we're seen by um, making an effort in how we present ourselves. That doesn't mean being vain, certain, or you know, necessarily having the best, most expensive clothes. But just taking a bit of time to make herself look and feel good. Mm, Mm. Taking pride. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, I I wear a lot of layers because I don't want to get sunburnt and I don't want to be cold. I I find it really hard to regulate my temperature. So um, I'm always cold when it's warm or, you know, I can't cool myself down when it's really warm. So I do wear a lot of layers and I like that the colour that I can create with all the layers. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that's the thing that struck me the most (laughs) when I love your Instagram because it's always so bright and so colourful. Oh,
1: there's so much going on. <laughs> it's so awesome, and it's really hot in this studio. It so is you, really hot. Yeah, so you need I've got to, a drink, so okay. I can oh, I can probably unzip my dress if I need. Yeah, to. I've got we'll another. Get to layer. know each other really <laughs> yeah, well, we real will. quick. Um, yeah. So. I guess my next question,
0: which this is going to sound kind of funny, Mm. can you explain ableism
1: to our listeners? Yeah, so ableism is discrimination towards disabled people. So it's the stuff like, um, you know, thinking that we don't need parking spaces because we don't look disabled or... Um, even when the government talks about people on the disability support pension being a burden or when the media writes about that. Um, it's about, you know, not, not standing up for someone on a train. Um, lots, of different, lots of different things, all types of discrimination. It's like slurs, like the R word, the M word. You know, making fun of people. It's excluding people. It's you know. Yeah,
0: it strikes me that you're really ballsy. <laughs> like you don't suffer fools Mm-mm. lightly, no. and that you don't aren't afraid to speak your mind. Mm.
1: Although I feel like I feel now one of the lessons I've really learnt now in working in access and inclusion. I do that for Melbourne French. I'm very good at doing it, advocating for other people, but not so much myself. And so the other day I was. Um, doing something where I had to organize a bunch of people to work for another, another company. And um, that company didn't treat those people so well. So I got on the phone and yelled at them. And yet when, I, <laughs> when I'm when i doing like trying to advocate for myself, you know, asking if we can get an Auslan interpreter in an event, for example, I'm always a bit apologetic or not as ballsy as I would be for someone else, because I don't want to be seen as the demanding, annoying diva. Because I think that can be really hard to be placed in that. But yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, you know, I just say what uh, a, a woman at the speech I just gave actually, um, she said, oh, you know, I want to talk to you about the word disability. I'm not happy with it. My son has a disability, but I don't like the word. And I said, well, you know, it's a factual word. It's not an insult. It's a neutral descriptor. It's part of his identity. It's not whole, his whole identity, and you've got to be proud and teach him pride and not use euphemisms like special needs or disability. Um, I don't know whether that's the answer she, that she wanted, but I, was, <laughs> I gave it anyway. Well, I guess it strikes me that you're a, a truth
0: teller and mm-hmm. it's important, I think, to <laughs> be able to speak your truth and, and explain to people, what do you believe about the power of language?
1: Mm. I think um, I was listening to Malala yes, yesterday, the day before. I went to see Malala. Oh, I was so she was, jealous. Oh my I saw God. you She go. was so amazing. Um, And she just said, like, words are the biggest weapon, the most powerful weapon we can use. Um, You know, they're, I guess, you know, we can use them for for bad and they can be harmful, but they certainly can change people's opinions and, and sway people and, you know, writing letters or articles or complaints They can really help change things. You know, words have gotten me very far. I think in terms of a career and in terms of um, being respected, and and for me, learning new things as well. Like you know, writing involves reading, so you have to read lots of other perspectives and to form your own views. So yeah, it's been. I think they're pretty pretty good. I like words. Sometimes I make words up, and then Adam will say that's not a word. Adam's my husband. He'll say that's not a word. Image. It can be. Yeah,
0: All words are made up I by know, someone. Exactly. At some point. Exactly. Who are the people other than Malala, obviously, the writers that you love or inspire hmm. you?
1: Um oh i really I really liked this year. I really liked Lee Sales' any ordinary day book. Have mm. you read that? Yes, so yeah. amazing. Wow, yeah. she was incredible. Um really liked her book. Um, I really like um I mean, I read a lot of disability writers, Emily Liddell from America, um Ariel Henley from America again, who's got a facial difference. They're really great disability activists. I really like reading Clementine Ford's work on feminism. I like Jamila Rizvi's work on being a, you know, in the woman a woman in the workforce. I really like abdel Abdolmagid. I think she wrote a great piece on being a model minority that I really Likes so that's the idea of people put her up on a pedestal I guess as a mo- as a person in the minority and um, she I guess in some people's eyes failed and though, though she didn't I don't think she failed at all but you know she felt like she had to lo- leave the country she was talking about the pressure of that she wrote a really good piece for Teen Vogue on that um, yeah I really like um, Ben Law's writing Celeste Little's writing um, lots of Australian activists writer people I like. Mm. Yeah. Um, What do you, I guess this is a bit of a funny
0: question, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to ask you about the title of your book. Mm. Why is it called Say Hello? Yeah.
1: So Say Hello, it was um, my agent, Jacinta came up with that because when I did my book um, proposal, so in writing a book, um, I had a few publishers approach me and then um, I got an agent just into Danielle just into Damase and um, they helped me put a book proposal together and when I was writing all the themes of the book and different um, like um, chapters to submit to publishers, one of the themes that kept on coming up was people um, would ask me questions about my skin, questions about my face, But they would not they would forget their niceties. So I often get questions like, What's happened to you? or what have you done to yourself or have you been sunburnt? And they don't say hello. And when other people are greeted, they're often greeted by hello. So I wanted to invite people to say hello rather than asking these questions. Or if they must ask these questions, (laughs) which I really hope they don't. I hope that it's you know, politeness is is used. Mm. Mm. It's a lovely thought, and also something I just haven't ever
0: thought about before. That right, that people would be so rude mm. like that to me. That surprises me.
1: Yeah, it, it still surprises me. I think you know. Cause I feel like I should be able to go down the street and not be asked, But, um, yeah, people just forget. And I I think for disabled people, our bodies are often not our own property. Our bodies are medicalised by the medical industry. But also because of shows like Embarrassing Bodies or that awful doctor, what's that, Dr Pimple Pop, for example, you know, where people watch that kind of stuff as entertainment, Um, we in in the street then become people's... Infotainment, you know, we're expected to ask, answer questions to, uh, to satisfy their curiosity. And so when parents tell me, oh, I encourage my child to go up and ask what's wrong with that person who's in a wheelchair. I said, well, it's fine to be curious, but we don't always want to answer the question. So you have to tell your child that maybe we deserve the right to be um, approached on our own terms or to answer on our own terms. So I think saying hello is a way maybe to break the ice. I often get people comment, I think, I think they're thinking I'm sunburnt. And so when it's super hot, they'll start breaking the ice by saying, oh, it's a really hot day, isn't it? And I'll say, yeah, it is. And then they'll say, oh, so what's happened to you? Uh, <laughs> 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 so, or have you been sunburnt? So that, you know, just, just be nice and treat people like you would treat someone else that's not disabled, I think. And it's not inviting, condescending talk or anything. It's, um, yeah, saying hello, asking um you know how someone is not commenting or needing to know why someone is mm. Mm. the way they are mm. yeah um
0: it strikes me
1: that we all have things
0: about us cuz human beings are problematic and <laughs> fragile and complicated mm-hmm. and internally we all have things going on with us that are challenging or hard mm-hmm. but you but you don't necessarily see it on the surface mm-hmm. and so then people aren't asking you mm. like, blatantly and last year i fell over and smashed my teeth in oh. on a brick on the road oh and so i've sort of i've got three missing teeth in mm-hmm. the front of my mouth and it occurred to me for a while i couldn't put my teeth in and it was the first time i'd kind of entered that space really where it's something that you're conscious of when mm. you're walking into mm. somewhere. And it ma- it, ma- it also made me realise that, again, that lesson, like what Lisa house talks about in her book too, that you don't know what's around the corner in life mm. and, and also that people can, you know, people are in the end much more worried about their own stuff mm. than yours, even though they can say offensive things initially. Yeah,
1: I think that the... There's two things I was going to say there. One thing I feel like they, th- when people comment or tell me that they couldn't handle looking like me or asking if there's a cure or whatever, that's a very clear projection of their own feelings of how they, their vanity onto me and their feelings around looking different. and, and um, But also um, I think people don't realise how the impact of asking as well because for me, uh, for, for you, it might be the first time you've seen someone like me but for me it's the fifth time I've encountered it that day and also if someone comes, so acquires a facial difference or, you know, a, a disability mm. through an accident or through violence, um, they have to relive that every time they explain it to a stranger. So, you know, is it, their, is it that stranger's right to know? Um, I mentioned in the book a friend who said that um, she has a, a missing eye due to domestic violence and every time someone asks her, then she thinks about that time where she lost her eye. And it's not fair on her to have to explain. No, absolutely. Mm. Mm. So I wanted to change tack because
0: I know it's it's getting very hot in here. (laughs) What is it like to actually write a book? Like
1: what is that like? It's really, really hard. Um, so I wrote a book. <laughs> I wrote most of my book on my iPad in my in my notes as well. <laughs> really? So there was. So I've got a whole folder on my in my notes like just book, and then I just file those like each chapter into there. And so I thought it would be really easy. I thought, oh, yeah, I'll just um, write like I would blog posts, um, and then put them together somehow. Um, and it's not like that at all. So I wrote all these chapters in my book, uh, for my book in my iPad. And then, um, I met this woman at Connie Johnson's funeral, at Connie Johnson's public memorial. I met her on the steps of the memorial and she's an artist. And she said, what do you want, what do you do? And I told her I was a writer and I was writing my book at the time. This was in September last year. And she said, oh, I have a studio. Come, come to my studio and you can write, you can be our guest for a month. So then I wrote the rest of the book on pretty much the whole book, really. Let's not lie. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> I had all these no, I had all these notes in iPad, um, and then I wrote and I took my MacBook in and I wrote um, all of the book, nearly all of the book, in that in that studio, which was lovely because I could just you know do it at the table, whereas normally I just write in bed. And um, but I realised I didn't have enough words in my all my notes to make up this you know in like six weeks to the end of the book. Um, the deadline, I had, you know, like 40,000 words and it had to be 80,000. Oh God. So anyway, so it's, it's really hard and you have to dig into your soul, I guess, and think about things that you might not want to. And also, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be whiny or seem entitled or, and I want to be a bit balanced. Like I want to recognise my failings as well in, in writing, you know, so saying I'm, I'm not always, a nice person or not always um, a good friend or whatever. So you've got to admit things that possibly aren't nice to admit. Um, oh, the, and, the, and the editing process is really hard too because I think, I don't know how many edits there are now for, for Now that it's done, but I think there were definitely five, five rounds of editing. And there's this edit called the structural edit. That's the worst. So the first edit comes back and then they tell you what, what else you, they want you to write. And then the second edit, the structural edit, is where they move everything around. So they um, say that, like, this paragraph in Chapter 5 should be in Chapter 2 and, then you know, we want more written here. And Anyway, that was really, really hard to get all that and I was still doing it on my iPad again. (laughs) Don't write your book on your iPad. (laughs) The the moral of this story is get a really, really big TV screen (laughs) and plug your computer into that so you can see it on the wall and you can move everything around. I think that would have been much easier. If I'm doing another book, that's what I will do. I I don't know. I, I... I think it's so, there's so many words. I think my book is from like 92,000 words or something. It's 360-something pages. And I don't really remember what I've written where either. Like I can't remember what chapters what now because I just, I had to, I did have to go back and reread it before media stuff. So I remembered. But it's a long process. You know, it's two years of writing. Wow. So for me it was. For other people it might not be. It's just really long and it's nothing like writing a blog because mm. blogs are just discrete, you know, pieces of work. And this, you have to tie it together. Yeah. And then there's a lot of imposter syndrome as well, thinking that, oh, my God, why am I writing a book? I can't do this. I have to give back the money. Yeah, Um, yeah, there's lots of self-doubt, lots of um, worrying that it's not good enough. Lots of, I've lost a few friends as well, which has been really hard. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, too mainstream, sold out, blah, blah. Uh, which that's that's probably been the hardest thing, I would say. Like it's been quite a lot. Like it's been a really successful year for me, but it's been a really lonely time. So Yeah.
0: Mm. Mm. That's what someone else said that. Glennon Doyle, who I follow, mm-hmm. said that when you're on an adventure and you're scaring yourself and you put yourself out there,
1: mm. that you do lose friends too. Mm. That's really yeah. So I think people perhaps only want to support you until you get to a certain level of success. I don't know. Anyway, they probably weren't friends to start with, but um, yeah, that's been pretty pretty hard. I think that's been one of the hardest things of writing the book. Um, also, I, one of the best things, the really nice things that happened, was doing the photos for the book, and that's not really involved. The writing's not really involved in that. But you know, my parents live in the country, so I got them to get all my school photos and all my photos from my childhood. And they, I think they sent me about 600. And I didn't even think I had that many of when I was a kid. I, don't, I certainly don't remember having my photo taken very much. So it was really nice to look back on that and see the type of childhood I had. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, finding those photos. And, yeah, so that's been a good bit. I think also the nice bit has been, like, for, with the editors. And they leave notes in the margin and things, you know, like, cheering my mum on. Like, my, I think my mum's got her own fan club because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's so great. But... Um, that's been, yeah, it's been good. And also the the time it takes is a really long time. And then it all happens really quickly as well. So I didn't even know that the book had gone to print. I me- remember sending an email to the editor going, oh, can you just make this one last change? She said, no, when I told you the book's gone to print last week, I meant it. <gasps> yeah. So anyway, it's fine. So you kind of just have to let it go. Yeah. How yeah. did
0: you How did you go from writing a blog mm-hmm. to being Carly Finlay book author? Oh,
1: Oh, just from writing every day. Like right, you know, showing up writing every day. So I used to write a blog most days. My my blog used to get attended to most days. Now it hasn't. It's been very neglected. Um, then I, you know, like, so I went from blogging to, from a, for a long time I went from blogging, uh, since 2001, I would say I started blogging, not on this blog, this blog's nearly nine years old. Then I just submitted stuff to the media, got writing for the media a bit, so Daily Life, SBS, ABC. Uh, Mamma Mia, Frankie, stuff like that. And then just keeping on writing and keeping on being visible and putting myself forward and putting others forward too, you know, that kind of um, promoting others is very reciprocal. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: yeah, so then it just, you know, it certainly didn't happen. I'd been blogging for seven years before um, people approached me with, we want to publish a book. So yeah, like, you know, I've been blogging on this yeah. blog for seven years. Yeah, so yeah. did you write a submission for this book? To publish this or did yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I got in 2016, around this time actually, in 2000 at the end of 2016, I was on Christmas holidays and I was reading Clem Ford's Fight Like a Girl and um, Lindy West's thrill, and I thought I want to write my own. I think it's time. And so I made all these notes in my iPad, on my phone probably, and um, <laughs> I made notes about what I wanted in the book. And then I got back to work and at that time I was really struggling at work. I just wasn't happy there and... And I'd worked like three days a week and it was from home and the rest of the team were in Melbourne, I uh, Sydney rather, and I felt really isolated being in Melbourne alone. And um, the highlight of that week, like I sort of thought, oh, it's just it's only the start of the year and, you know, I'm already fearing, feeling miserable at work. And the highlight of that week was um, I, someone, a publisher followed me on Twitter. I, it wasn't a big publisher. I, like it wasn't a very well-known publisher. A small a small publisher followed me. And then um, I got an email later that day from this publisher to say, "Um, we're interested in publishing your book. And i was like, how do you even know I'm writing a book? (laughs) Anyway, it's funny how, you you know, if you write something down, it happens or, you know, you're accountable to yourself or to other people. And so just before that, so in about September 2016, uh, so three months earlier, I had gone to this women's writers thing at the Wheeler Centre where I met an agent. I didn't even meet her there. I was just live tweeting the event. And so the agent, Jacinta, she... Um, thanked me via Twitter to say and said oh, I'd love to meet you, and I said I'm going overseas next week because I was going on a honeymoon, and I said I'll catch up with you when I get back, and I never did. But then when I got this publishing request, I emailed her and I said um, I don't know if you remember me, but I t- I was tweeting you at this event last year, and um, now I've had a publisher interest. What should I do? And she said I oh, will. We'll, we want to sign you up, so we'll sign you up onto our roster. Yes, or yeah, st- yeah, stable, I guess. And so then she said, and we'll help you put a book proposal together. So I said, okay. And then the next week I had an interview for uh, 200 Women. Do you know the book 200 Women? It's 200 Women from Around the World and we, we were photographed and um, so I was one of those in the book. And... The people that were taking my photograph said, um, oh, a lady from the publisher's coming to your interview. She's really interested in publishing yeah. your book. And I thought, oh, how does she know I'm writing a book? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then I told Jacinta again, oh, I've had some interest from this book, uh, this publisher. And then um, so we put together the, the thing. It took a long time. It's just like, it's kind of like writing a grant, writing a book proposal. So you write down like, Um, your synopsis, your aims, your audience, who your audience is, who you want it to be, um, what other books are on the market, three chapters, um, not your bio. Oh, I can't remember what else. But anyway, so, yeah, it's just kind of like writing a grant, I guess. And then, yeah, so we sent that out in March and then by May I had... Five yeses we sent it to nine people I had five yeses and three no's and a no and a, I don't know so yeah so that was exciting I had to choose and it's like choosing a puppy, you know yeah. where you have one all of them because they're all you know they're all great and then you get to know you get to know the people because they all take you out to lunch or you have meetings or and then um, I had to say no to four four of them and you you still keep that you know the, the relationships with them um, I'm working with one um, well I, I did I did an interview with, with an author from one of the publishers once and then, um, you know, I've seen other publishers around and mm. so that was really nice. So I chose Harper Collins, and they've been amazing to work with. So, yeah, so that's... That's was,
0: incredible. Yeah,
1: and then I used that chapter summary, the chapter outline for um, the book as well. So I oh, just... Wow. That's how I organised my work when I first started. So I would say something, you know, like, uh, today I'm going to work on chapter three, whatever that was. Then and then just write to that you no know, four thousand words or whatever. So yeah, so that's yeah. How, and that's how it, you've, you've kept it from back oh, then when it was in the notes in your uh, phone until now. No, well it's a lot different. Yeah, <laughs> it's a oh, lot yeah different. Like 80, words. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot different. Probably not in the notes. Some of the chapters brain. are still called the same. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Don't you believe in the universe? Yeah, well, like I didn't, but then I did. I didn't, but then I did, you know. Even yeah. when I, you know, like when I was thinking about, I used to work for the government for a long time and, um, and it was very well paying and it was very secure and then I quit to go to this part-time job, the one that I wasn't happy with, and... Um, But before that, I made a list of things I was going to do to make money. So it's literally a list of how to make money, all these different things. And then my husband said, oh, you should pitch to big business. And then the next day, this company emailed me to go, um, oh, we really like you to put in a proposal for us. To do training to deliver training to four hundred staff. And I'm like, okay, and I and then I thought, oh my god, how do I do a tender? I don't know how to write a tender, and so I rang my old manager from the government, going, how do I write a tender? And then I got it, and I I was it just finished up this year, this last month. But it was really great to be able to deliver training over you Know every month for two years, yeah. Uh, and I'm re pitching actually, so fingers crossed I get it, but yeah. <laughs> so, because what? So,
0: could you explain what a tender is?
1: Um, branches? it's just like a proposal to work for someone, and then they discuss it with the managers, and then they choose who is the best value. And then mm. I and got it's it. Carly, mm, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was really fun, and yeah, I think that that experience to have that money while I was writing my book was really good because it it's really good money to do, to do that kind of training and I could just um, you know not worry so much but now I've got a part-time job I was re- I'm pretty stretched for time. Mm. Gosh, it strikes me
0: that you're really good at hustling.
1: Mm, I feel like it. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I used to see a lot of bloggers and influencers around the time when I was more, you know, blogging the most, say 2010-11-12. When just before Instagram influencers had come, and lots of bloggers would try to work with brands, and i I was always rejected. Um, no one wanted a chronic illness blogger, which was really sad, I thought. It was very, pretty discriminatory. That's ableism. Um yeah, <laughs> And I think that you know there weren't someone from a certain with a certain image. and I've spoken a lot about that about how I felt really left out and like all of my blogging peers were getting opportunities, they were going overseas, they were working with brands Um, and even like even though I had the same level of readership as them, the brands weren't interested Um, and so that's I guess why I chose to go my own way with the media and with pursuing my writing rather than writing to ads, you know, writing. Kind of to sponsored posts, but the other day I did a talk in Sydney to a bunch of chronic illness influencers, and I did the talk in my pajamas. And I was saying how you know you can you too can work in your pajamas and be a, you know be and like successful. me, yeah. yeah, be successful. And I said you know it, it doesn't matter if you if you're too sore or too unwell, just you know do your work in your pajamas. So I did this talk in my pajamas, and lots of people came up to me afterwards to say that's really great. And then Peter Alexander sent me some pajamas. <laughs> really exciting
0: oh my god isn't it amazing the way <laughs> I totally believe in the universe <laughs> and how things all come around yeah but you have to kind of stick it what feels right yeah
1: for you. and I think um you know had I worked with those brands I wouldn't have fit anyway you know like the makeup brands I don't use makeup they were chocolate and I really like chocolate so you know you have to work it for you um I feel now I have to be more of a hustler And um, sometimes, you know, someone will say, oh, we don't have the budget to pay you for that, so I'll just go down and meet their budget. Um, Mm. You know, not too much out of my budget, but, yeah, you've got to be. And I think working for yourself, you'd probably find this as well, and I talk with a friend as well, when you're an employee, you you get stuff done for you, you get your HR done for you, you get your payroll done and all that, but when you're a self-employed person... You've got to do it all yourself, and it's really hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. It's so
0: confusing. <laughs> yeah. oh, I still have to wrap my head around tax, mm-hmm. and, and now we've got people working for us mm. too, and that's a whole other thing. Mm. Yeah, but, but I wouldn't have it any other way, yeah. and it strikes me that you might not have it mm.
1: any other way I'm, Yeah, I think quitting my government job and doing my own thing's been the best. Yeah, it's mm. been great. Speaking of the universe. Yes. The week that I emailed you, so
0: this is literally the week that you got back to me and agreed to do an interview. Yeah, yeah. I got an email from a girl called Kim Mm -hmm. and she didn't know that I'd reached out to you, but Uh, can I read you a little bit of what she wanted to know? So she's a listener to Just Make the Thing. Hello, Kim, out there. Hi, Kim. She said, I would love to hear an episode on being creative and consistent while living with a chronic disorder. Mm. I've lived with chronic muscle pain my entire life and I'm also hypermobile and it's made it difficult for me to be consistent in anything. I never know when I'm going to have a bad day that leaves me trapped inside. Do you have advice for someone dealing with a chronic illness who is struggling to keep being consistent with their creativity? Mm,
1: That's a good question, Kim. So one thing I have found is being really open on social media, like having a social media profile, keeps me accountable to other people. So if I am sore, generally someone will say, like my publishers, for example, um, oh, I told them I was sore. But I was also saying I was pretty sore on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, And then they saw that I was sore because I was publicising that, you know, I'm not well at the moment. And then they'd say, we don't want you to do anything. So that was really good. So setting boundaries and being public about those boundaries as well. Um, Doing things that you can do in bed. Like I write in bed. That's where I write, write most of my book. Um, I don't feel guilty about that. You know, I'll go home soon and I've got a phone call to make. I had a job interview in bed once. I had a job interview in hospital once actually. Uh, <laughs> oh, my god! <goodness. laughs> or I think I did the application in hospital and then I had the interview afterwards in bed. Um, that, yeah, just being doing things that are comfortable for you and not pushing yourself too much and just setting time aside each day. Like if you take 15 minutes to write or create, um that's enough. Um, not being too hard on yourself. Also, I think listening to podcasts is a really good way of learning and reaching out and connecting with people. Um, so, that's really, yeah, that's been one of my saviours where I can listen to like minded people um, and learn things without having to do things, you know, go out and socialise or do things when I'm too sore. Um, connecting with others. It's really important, like like-minded people, you know, other people with chronic illness. There's a really great website, uh, Facebook group that I'm in, the Freelance Jungle, and a lot of us talk about working um, freelance with chronic illness. So if Kim's wanting to, I recommend she joins that Freelance Jungle. Um, but, yeah, just, just show up however you can, you know, for 15 minutes a day and if, if you can do more, then do more. Yeah, yeah. That's such great advice. Yeah.
0: Better to do ten minutes or fifteen minutes mm-hmm. than think it has to be bigger than Ben Hur mm-hmm. and, and then give up.
1: Yeah, at and the start. I think for, like just on that, so many people ask me how how I can write a book how they can write a book. You know, they'll tell me I want to write a book, and I said, "Have you written anything before?" And they'll say, "No," and I said, "I don't think writing a book's for you. Like, just start small. Start with the blog. Start with a Facebook post. If you don't feel writing is your strength, um, but don't tackle something that's so big that's so daunting." I'm like I just said in my talk, in my speech earlier. I'm really glad I had that um, long time in practicing writing and building an audience as well, because I don't think I'd be prepared for perhaps the level of backlash I might get if I hadn't had that online. Um, lesson online resilience building beforehand. Mm. Yeah,
0: that's such, such great advice. It's mm. that start small and nothing's wasted. Right?
1: Mm, mm-hmm. And just yeah. you know, I've used Facebook um, statuses in my book. If if I really like them, I've you know built a chapter around them. For example, mm. that, you know it's it's valuable stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's collect. Yeah,
0: like so don't, you have to be like a bow bird.
1: Yeah, always, collecting like picking, things and yeah. picking where you yeah. So I think just, yeah, just doing that, making, creating where you can, just, you know, and ask for help as well, or tell people that you can't do it. I had to say no to a lot of things recently, and I think people don't realise what work is, Um, you know, like they'll say, oh, can you promote this event? And I'll say, look, I'm really busy right now, I'm sorry, I'm managing my health and managing... Um, work and then i will say oh it's only sharing a Facebook event and I'll say but it's not only sharing a Facebook event it's more than that mm. Mm. Yeah. so and how yeah and other people I guess people that are listening to this um, don't put your expectations of what you think isn't a lot of work onto people that might not be able to cope so well mm. yeah. How do you say no? Mm, that's hard. Um, I've got to be a standard answer now like sorry I can't do it or it doesn't align with my values or um, someone wanted me to be involved in a anti-violence campaign recently and ordinarily I'd say yes but I was just so tired with finishing my book and I'm doing another book now and uh, I just said I'm really sorry um you know I'd like to be involved but I've got too much on and I don't feel like I can commit to giving this my all and they were really grateful for that you know thanks for being honest Mm -hmm. um just wishing them the best I think (laughs) it's harder to say no to, to people like to non-companies, to people, like to individuals. You know, if I say I can't do this right now but message me later and then they'll be like, oh, I just wanted a quick answer. And some people feel like I've let them down if I haven't given them the answer that they wanted or given them an answer at all or if they've said can you tell me what cream to use for my eczema? And I say, I don't don't give medical advice and I'll feel really hard done by. So I find that a bit tricky. Not very Mm. good at saying no. And also I think there's the idea in the arts that if you say no, you'll never be asked again. That's the fear.
0: Oh, God, I live with that every day. Oh, God, if I say no to this, nothing will ever come again.
1: Um, I, the, the, the talk that I just did, um, asked the, the company asked me to do Sydney as well, like next week or something, and I said, no. I said, I'm on holidays from the 14th and um, I'm not taking on any new work. And I said, but disability is a perennial topic, so um, <laughs> so I will talk to you, you know, to you in the new year. And then today they said, oh, we've got companies all over, so... Um, you know, when when you're free, let us know. So that was good. So saying no there was good. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. 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 I guess people respect your boundaries Mm. then. And also saying no, and also I say no to working for free and sometimes that leads to paid work, which is a bit annoying and sometimes that's more work in saying no than... It is um, if I just... said yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, because a lot of people ask us to work for free and expect it and especially in disability and, and arts as well and when they cross over then it's doubly and then I'll give them a whole lecture on why they should pay people and um, well, that's a lot of work and, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, gosh, I could talk to you all day because I have Thank so you. many more questions. Oh, go, it's fine. Um, you got, well, I wanted to ask you about what you did with the taxi driver.
1: Oh, yeah. I had a taxi driver incident. This this wasn't my first one, but in 2013, a taxi driver, um, I got in the taxi after a talk and the woman that I was working for said to me, I'll I'll give you a voucher for your taxi. And I said, no, it's fine. I'll get the train. I get it every every night. And she said, yeah, I want you to get home safely. I said, okay. All right, so I got in the taxi and he said, oh, what's on your face? And I said, nothing. And he said, no, what's on your face? And then he thought whatever was on my face would ruin his car. He said, I don't want you to dirty my seats. And, mm. and then he just said, like, I smell. And then he was just really rude. So I got out and I said, fuck you. And then... <laughs> Uh, well, you know, really that happens. Ballsy, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really are. And then um, the because the the hotel booked the taxi, we could get his number and um, I think he quit. But um, then I got another taxi and, and as I was in the other taxi, I was tweeting what had happened and I turned that tweet into a blog post and then it had a huge amount of hits the next day. Um, then the hotel told me the number of the driver so I could make a complaint to the taxi company. And... Then the lady that I worked for, Deborah, made a complaint as well and a few other people because it was on social media. He quits because it ended up in the media. Um, so this, I wrote a story for the, I think it was on the um, News Limited, before I wrote a story for Daily Life. Anyway, it was like the top story. It was really weird being the top story on on news.com.au. And he, as a result of seeing the media, I think he quit. So there was no reprimand for him or anything. But... I used my blog to make the complaints, so I just text in the right bits in the <laughs> in the complaint form. So I made a complaint to the taxi company, to the um, taxi commission, and then to the human rights commission because the taxi company said, "Until this happens to someone else, we're not going to pro- provide any training." I said, "That's ridiculous! Like you can't let this happen to someone else. Just take this opportunity to provide training." So then we went to um, the taxi company and made a video with them and. As a result of that, the, um, I think the taxi complaints are down. I don't know whether that means incidents are down, be less people complaining. I don't know. But then um, I think the power of that was to use my blog and social media to trans, you know, to translate that into a complaint. And so more people were aware. More taxi drivers are talking about, um, you know, disability. I think because they expect disability to look a certain way. Um, there's definitely some cultural barriers with um, understanding disability as well. So it can be really hard. I feel like I've got a better relationship with the taxi company now. They actually sponsored the fashion show that I went that I put on. They gave people taxis, which was really nice. But I do always look in a taxi and um, see, like, their number before I get in. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I have a lot of trouble when I go to Sydney, actually. Oh, I've got to ring them. I think they think that I'm going to give them some training for free. But um, <laughs> every time I go to Sydney to use this certain taxi company, um, because they're just outside the the station. I don't call for one. I always have a hard time because they think that the fare's too short or they tell me I don't need it. Um, they'll ask me what's wrong. And there's always this nervousness about, you know, whether they'll take me or not. And yeah, it's just, hard so it's just constant it's just a constant education mm. 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 does that ever get exhausting
0: mm-hmm. yeah it does constantly educating people
1: yeah it does and also i think there's a like the onus is often on us to do it us that have been like uh, the subjects of ableism to fight the ableism so it'd be great if allies can step up not step in the way or speak up over us but just you know put in that complaint or ask how we, they can help Um, I noticed, so just, I don't want to talk about it too much, but um, I had a really difficult incident with a radio host this year. And after that happened, I noticed that the commentary around it by non-disabled people was incredible and it showed that people were understanding and understanding that ableism is just as bad as racism and homophobia and so that was uh, that was a good outcome because people were talking about it and they were saying this isn't okay. So, mm. yeah, that was a good result. Yeah, mm. good Only And, mm. yeah, could, do you want to talk any more about what happened? Yeah, I just had a difficult experience talking about microaggressions on the radio and um, the weird thing is that uh, the interview on the radio demonstrated what those microaggressions was because the, ho- the host was... Um
2: Being <laughs> microaggressive, being microaggressive,
1: yeah. So that's been pretty tricky, and I guess I felt like I had to stay in the interview and not be disruptive and be professional. And um, yes, it's been a tricky thing because um, <laughs> I, I don't even feel like I can speak about it now. But I, I hadn't been invited back to the ABC for uh, after being a regular guest for a long time, and I felt like they thought I was a risk. Then I got invited back this week. But then my interview was cancelled. Oh, uh, no. I don't I don't know what the reason was, but I'm sure it was fine. I don't think it was me. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if the apology would be really meaningful if they just had me back and, and committed to having diverse people on. Mm. Mm. Definitely, <laughs> I
0: saw a quote on your website that says, "Disability is the forgotten part of identity." Mm. What
1: do you mean? Yeah, that? well, like I said before, that woman was saying how she often doesn't like the word disability, um, so she doesn't want to use it. So people just think disability is a fate worse than death, so they don't want to um, associate, you know, disability in their life. And um, often we're not we're, we're told to oppress it and or suppress it rather, and um, you know, if I describe myself as a um, a disabled woman, someone will say, "Oh, don't don't do that. You're not disabled like them. Like, um, that's offensive." Or you don't, you know, you're not really disabled. Or I'm not comfortable with that word. It's mostly non-disabled people saying this, um, and they they don't see that it's part of identity. Like you said before, it's not my whole part, but it's part of my identity. I don't carry it with me and then put it down at the end of the day. It's always there. Um, but it's it's you know, it's identity like womanhood is like. You know, sexuality, like gender, like race, religion, yeah, and and we're, we're often denied that because of the euphemisms that people use, because of special needs, because of disability, differently able. Those kinds of words are often used instead of disability, and so that's showing that we're not even allowed to use the words, the factual words that, mm, describe, that us. describe us. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, I wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. This, is a, this is a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, our our pl- Planet Broadcasting Network, it strikes me as not being very accessible for everybody, Mm -hmm. particularly for people, I guess, in terms of people who are deaf. Mm -hmm. And uh, is there ways? Do you know much about how to do transcribing and and how to make things more Um, accessible? Yeah,
1: you you can provide a transcript with every podcast. Um, I know that that costs money, but in terms of listenership, it could have a whole new reach. Um, I, I mean, I, I know that transcription services are like Rev, or I have friends that mm-hmm. do it, but certainly, and I need to do it for my own podcast actually, we're looking into that. Um, yeah, making transcripts, um, m- inviting different people to come on. So if you had a, a deaf person, then you'd bring a signer, an Auslan interpreter along who might speak uh, with them. Um, you could also, if it, you know, just find more diverse people to interview you can do image descriptions on your posts. So I do an image description on my posts um, on social media. So for example, um, if I was to describe how I, like if I put a photo up of myself right now, I would be a woman with a red face, um, short, dark curly hair, wearing headphones with a dress with pink horses on it um so you know it's not hard to do an image description on each post it's just you know two minutes extra and once you do them you know image descriptions are now embedded on instagram so you can just do them when you do your instagram um tagging um you can also Yeah, let people know that that you're wanting to reach a new community by going out to those communities and talking to them. So um, telling different communities, uh, you know, Deaf Arts Network or um, Vision Australia that you're doing podcasts. Yeah, Mm -hmm. promoting it to those communities. But just inviting people on and looking at what they're doing. There's a lot of people doing really great creative things. I met a guy the other day who was um, the official photographer at an event I spoke at, and he was blind. And he was talking about how his photos, um, how digital photography has opened up the world because before he couldn't, he he saw very um, narrowly, and now that he could put the memory card into his TV and see the photos he'd taken and he's seeing all these new things that he couldn't see before. That was pretty amazing to hear that. You should get him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. he sounds incredible.
0: Yeah, and Now you've inspired me for 2019. Right. Also, maybe like a lift or a ramp in your building. Yeah, oh, that's a really good point. I'll get on to Evan about <laughs> that one. Hopefully you're listening, Evan. Yeah, because that
1: is a huge thing, isn't it, with access? Mm, with just not even being able to get in the door. So, you know, and going to someone, if, if someone can't come to you, then you can go to someone. Yeah. yeah with your equipment. Thank yeah. you. And that's all right. And also taking time, you know, like if people need to have a break or um, if they need the lights down or whatever, if they've got sensory um, type disability, then. Yeah. Mindful. Yeah. And listening, um, there's lots of resources online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've got some good questions. <laughs> but I mean, you don't have to do everything. You know, at the start, you can you can do a few things and, you know, already it will be improvement. Mm. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. It's right. sort of been on my list. Oh, great. <laughs> um. Uh, okay. So I wanted to finish the interview just mm-hmm. by asking you, what is the thing that brings you the most joy from mm. doing what you do?
1: Mm. I think it's when people write to me to say, I felt all alone and then um, until I saw you online or until I read your work and now I realise I'm not. So that was, that's pretty good. Um. Also, you know, if I reach out to a new parent and say, you know, life is going to be hard with ichthyosis but it'll be okay, and then, like, you know, that kind of stuff's really nice too. Um, a little girl emailed me the other day, I think she's about 12, and she asked for some advice on coping with pe- people's pressures around her ichthyosis. And, like, just being able to share that is nice. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Well, thank yeah. you, Tali. That's me. all right.
0: Thank you. Oh, uh, thanks for all the work that you do as thank well you. for all the humans <laughs> out there who make stuff because um, we all need people like you who make so many things out there doing it so
1: thank you you're welcome
0: okay oh and where can we find you
1: oh yeah i'm at carlyfindlay.com.au or at Carly Findlay on facebook instagram twitter um i think youtube um and my book it's called say hello and it's out on january the 29th and you can pre-order it now at carlyfindlay.com.au Yay. slash say hello oh, i can't
0: wait to Yay. read it thank you <laughs> thank so
1: you. much okay bye bye You've been listening to
0: a podcast with me, Claire Tonty, called Just Make the Thing. And our guest today was Carly Finlay. You can find more about Carly in our show notes. And she has her book, Say Hello, coming out in January. So definitely grab yourself a copy. You can also submit some writing if you would like to. Carly is part of a project called Growing Up Disabled in Australia and they're calling for submissions now. So I'll put that website as well in the show notes below. The submissions close in May and that is for a paid opportunity as well. So there you go. That's a thing that you could get started with right away. Have a great week out there. If you'd like to contact our show, just email JustMakeTheThingPod at gmail.com. We're always after people to advertise on our show and we'd love questions and topics and for you to write in and share what you're making. If you could as well, subscribe in iTunes, leave us a rating or review. It makes so much difference. It really does. So. Please go ahead and do that. And you can find more podcasts just like this one at planetbroadcasting.com, which is the Planet Broadcasting podcast network that I run with my husband, James Clement. I've got lots more interviews just like this one as well. So head back through our feed. You'll find wonderful interviews with people like Claire Bowditch, Jamila Rizvi, and also the teeny tiny Stevies and lots of other incredible women, as well as comedians like Will Anderson and Luke McGregor and Celia Percola. And you can find me at Claire Tonti on Instagram, which is where I like to be. Okay, have a wonderful week. I hope you're enjoying this festive season. I am, oh my goodness. Next week, Chanel and I are dropping a, a special Christmas edition. So stick around for that on Christmas Day. And lots of love to you out there, wherever you are. Keep on making. Okay, till next week. Bye.